So go, go over to Isaiah 49. That's where we're going to start, Isaiah 49, okay? Isaiah 49. Now, last week we were 40 through 48. 40 through 48 is fabulous because Isaiah's prophesying a hundred or so years prior to the time of the Babylonian exile. And not only is he talking about the Babylonian exile that is going, by the way, just before we start, didn't you catch what I said up here earlier? I made up a new word. I said beautiness. I was trying to say holiness and beauty, and I said beautiness, and so uh, thanks for being polite. You didn't laugh at me. But, but anyway, so Isaiah is um, prophesying all this time beforehand, and he's prophesying about the Babylonian exile, but not only that, he prophesies by name the man or the king who is going to upset the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians through King Cyrus, remember that? And one of the great themes of 40 through 48 was God said, listen, test me. I am the one who can predict the future and no one else. Remember that part? And so uh, we are, find ourselves 40 through 66, you want to know this, it's a definite shift between 1 through 39 of the chapters of Isaiah. 1 through 39 is more of judgment and uh, more of talking about both Israel and Judah. 40 through the rest of the chapter is mostly talking about uh, the exiles, the ones from the southern kingdom who were exiled in Babylon, who are going to be return after the exile, after Cyrus gives the decree to go back and rebuild the city. And oh, by the way, what books talk about that? You all know it, Ezra and Nehemiah, which we'll get to soon. So that's wonderful. But tonight we're going to be very optimistic and try and uh, knock these out, uh, several chapters of Isaiah, uh, because in two weeks we're going to start. So if I get caught up... uh, in two weeks, we're going to start the book of Revelation in here on Wednesday nights, okay? Two Wednesdays from now. But in, if that's the case, then we got to move because <laughs> we got to get done 49 through 66 by next Wednesday night, next Wednesday night. Remember now, somebody said to me, you're going awful fast. You're right. I am going awful fast. And I could slow down and probably should slow down. But this time that we're going through the book of Isaiah, we're going through on a high level view. Okay, the next time we go through the book of Isaiah, we, uh, Lord willing, or should the Lord tarry, we'll go slower. Uh, but here what we're trying to do is uh, introduce to you the main themes, the main concepts, the main principles, what God was after, what the writings uh, are about, so that you can go and spend time in the back country yourselves. And so uh, this is a beautiful book. Well, let's... Uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start at chapter 49, the book of Isaiah. Helen's prayed for us, so I thank her for that, and we're just going to uh, dive right in. Now, the theme here for the, uh, from uh, 49 to about 55 is the servant. It's a definite shift here from 40 through 48 to 49. 
Now we're going to be talking about this idea of the servant or the Messiah. And you know there, there are, this is important, there are four servant songs in the book of Isaiah here. The first one was in chapter 42, 1 through 7. Next one was in 49, 1 through 7. We're coming up on, in chapter 50, the third servant song, 50, chapter, or verses 4 through 11. And then the fourth servant song, and it's the ultimate servant song, is the one about the suffering servant, which actually starts in chapter 52, verse 12, and goes to 53, verse 12, okay? So now we're talking about the servant. And in chapter 49 and chapter 50, there's this servant, the servant of God. And initially here in 49 through 50, chapter, or chapter 50, verse 3, God's servant is opening up the gospel or is opening up uh, God's plan of redemption to not only the Jews themselves, but to the Gentiles. The servant then is going to be the light to the Gentiles. Who did Jesus say he was? He's the light of the world. Who does he say you and I, we are? We're the light of the world because we reflect the light of the sun, not the S-U-N, the S-O-N, correct? And so that's what we see here. The servant is a light unto the Gentiles. Now listen to this. Here we go. We're going to go very quickly. Verses 1 through 7 here of chapter 49 speaks of light coming to the darkness. Light coming to the darkness. Look in verse 1 here. Listen, O coastlands. That means faraway places from Israel. And take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb. From the matrix of my mother, he has made mention of my name. Now remember, we're talking about the servant, the great servant or the Messiah. And the Lord has called uh, him, called me from the womb. That's one of the things that's going to happen. This Messiah is going to actually be one who's born, right? From the matrix of my mother. He's made mention of my name, and he's made my mouth like a sharp sword, the word of God, sharper than any double-edged sword. Remember that? Do you remember also uh, some of the officers of the priests when they came up uh, and had heard Jesus speaking in John 7? They said, remember, they were amazed, and they said, nobody's ever spoken like this man. Listen to this. This is seven centuries prior to the time of the birth of Christ. Here the Messiah is being uh, uh, prophesied, uh, and it's a uh, a chapter here about this servant. And one of the things that's going to uh, mark him or be uh, characteristic is that his mouth would be like a sharp sword, double-edged sword. Whoever uh, heard anyone speak like this? Uh, They said, in the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he's hidden me, verse 2. And he said to me, you're my servant, O Israel. There it is. You're my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. 
And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him. Look, one of the main things that Jesus is going to be doing as we uh, move on to that time when Jesus comes again is that Jesus is going to be uh, bringing back uh, the Jews to the Lord. Jesus will be. Get that? So that Israel is gathered to him, for I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? And here's one to highlight if you are such a highlighter or one to mark. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles. He's opening up uh, the kingdom of God, the plan of God, the plan of redemption, not just to the Jewish people, but to the whole world. That's what the Messiah will do, Isaiah says. And that you should be my salvation uh, to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord in verse 7, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to him whom man despises. Interesting, Remember this? As Jesus was growing up, he said he grew in stature and that people respected him. I'm paraphrasing there. But catch this. This is interesting. As he moved closer to the cross is when people started to despise and reject him. That's fascinating. You can talk about God all day long. Go into your works places. God, God, God. No problem. Bring up the name of Christ. Now we have a problem. Why? It's offensive to people. Because it's offensive. This this gospel, the gospel of peace that brings us peace, is offensive to the world. Why? Because I don't want to admit by myself, left to myself, that I'm a sinner. And what Jesus tells us, he makes us come face to face with who we are. We're Sinners with an evil heart. Not good. We're not basically good, folks. I saw some whole bunch of things on Facebook today talking about how man is basically good. It's not the message of the Bible. Man is inherently, or is not good. Man is evil. Man is a sinner. Man has rebelled against God. And so Jesus came to bring light into the world. He was at first respected, but then despised, to whom, to him whom the nation abhors, back in verse 7, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, worship uh, because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel. Look, more of what the, the servant will do. Verse 8, thus says the Lord, in an acceptable time I've heard you, in the day of salvation I've helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages. Well, there's a whole sermon right there that Christ makes us inherit uh, the desolate heritages, heritages of what we, um, he, he leave, left to ourselves, our whole life is going to be desolate, and that's going to be our heritage but when we come into a, a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, as you're going to see later as we go, you come into a, a, a land, a kingdom that has water just flowing up and out and being fertile. You come alive again, you see. Well, 
Uh, what in verse 9? That you may say to the prisoners, go forth to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. You know this. Jesus, when he stands up in his own synagogue, by the way, you go to that synagogue with us in, Jerusalem, or in Israel, in Nazareth. You go to that synagogue, you stand in it. The one in which he um, uh, unwrapped the scroll, Isaiah, and read to his home church. A, a prophecy from Isaiah, and he sat down and said, you know, today in, in your presence, this has become fulfilled. I'm the Messiah, he said. Well, in that, uh, those scriptures, remember, uh, one of the ministries of the Messiah, and here you see it again, is that he's going to set the captives free. One of the great themes of the Bible is that he sets us free. So interesting. It's so opposite of what the world says. The world says, uh, just uh, disregard or uh, disengage yourself from God and you'll be free. The Bible says, yoke yourself to Christ and you're never freer uh, than, than, than ever because you're doing what you were intended to do. You're living the way in which you were intended to live, walking with God. You're free. You're free. Well, you could... Keep going on and on. The 10 through 11 here speaks of the future glorious kingdom. The Lord was going to call the Jewish people from the ends of the earth and gather them in his lands. And we uh, have been studying that several times as we've been moving through Isaiah. He, he picks up the theme in verse 11. I'm going to make mountains a road and my highways will be elevated. Remember that. And it'll be time in verse 13. It'll be a time of singing and joyousness, right? And then, this is fascinating. I suggest this to you. I'm not going to read it all, but if you're a person who's down, discouraged, if you're one uh, given to melancholy, then I would read this and study it. It's fabulous. It's the principles of God as he relates to his people in Zion, in in, uh, Israel. God is giving love and hope to those folks who are discouraged over in Babylon, who the exiles, think about it. What would they be saying? We say this every week. What would the Babylonian exiles be saying? Seriously, Lord? You obviously don't love us because you've placed us away from our house. We're going through this time. Uh, have you forgotten us? Uh, you don't love me. Uh, I must not be worth anything, etc. And those are real feelings. I'm not discounting them, but that m- must be what they're saying and more. They probably were bitter and angry at God. Anybody ever been there? And here he encourages them. By the way, remember when Isaiah is prophesying this, it hasn't happened yet. Isn't that interesting? Well, anyway, uh, here he, he prophesies, and in uh, 14, verse 14, all the way to verse 3 of chapter 50, he gives them encouragement. 14 through 23, he acts, or he talks about his compassion as, a, as if he's a mom to a baby. Mom to a baby, and that um, Israel would be that baby. In other words, Verse 15, could a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Listen to this. This is such for you and for me. He will not forget you. He won't forget you, he says to his people. He will not forget you. And he says in verse 18, lift your eyes up, look around, see, and come 
As I live, says the Lord. And you could read all that way from 14 through 23. And then in 24 through 26, he says, I love you as if I'm a courageous warrior. I love you uh, like, I'm, like uh, I'm a courageous warrior, says the Lord in verse 25. Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible be delivered. In other words, I'll take it out on those who are taking it out on you. There will be justice, he says. And if you go in verse 50, 1 through 3, he continues the theme. Listen to this. To the discouraged people, he says, I'm a one who is constantly loving you. That's what he says in verses 1 through 3. In other words, where is the certificate of your mother's divorce? Whom I have put away? In other words, I haven't done that. You don't find a certificate of divorce. I didn't divorce you, is what he's saying. To the people in exile. Whom have I put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? In other words... Uh, I didn't do anything, the Lord's saying. Catch this. This is important. Catch this. When we're in melancholy times, despair, why am I not hearing from the Lord? Why is he not speaking with me? Catch this. He says, I didn't do anything, but your iniquities you've sold yourselves. And for your transgressions, your mother has been put in way. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? In other words, I looked for you, and you didn't answer me. That's what the Lord says. Boy, isn't that a different way of thinking about it? You ever been in one of those places where your attitude's just really not very good? And you've been saying things like that to the Lord? And the Lord, I think he says it nicer than I would say it probably. But he's saying, well, hold on there. When I called, you didn't answer. I've always been here. Isn't that wonderful? Such a great scripture, right? 2 Timothy 2. When God is faithful, when we're even unfaithful, he just continues uh, to be faithful. Well, if you go back to verse 4 here now, we start getting into some really deep stuff. Here's the third servant song. A song about the servant, the servant song. Catch this, right in the middle of, you know, Isaiah 50, seven centuries before uh, Jesus, the Messiah, was born. Seven centuries. He says this in verse 4, The Lord God has given me the tongue of, or the, tongue of the learned, that I should, you could look in John 5, just read John 5, uh, 19 through 30, or right? 19 and 30. Uh, he, he, anyway, he is a learned one. He, he is one who uh, uh, knows and discerns and uh, is just, um, well, of course, intelligent. And he's given him the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. Isn't that beautiful? You looked for other things, the Lord said. You went your own way. All you had to do, he's saying, in a loving, kind way. He's not saying it like in a smart aleck way like I would say it. He's saying in a loving, kind way. All you had to do, just come here. You look for everything else. Just, just come to me, Israelites. Come to me, you know, people here in the church. He's, he's the, he knows how to give a word in, uh, a weary, to the weary in season. He, how about this, the Messiah? He awakens me. God awakens the Messiah 
morning by morning, Mark 135, write it down, Mark 135, go there later. A long time before the sun came up, Jesus arose and went out to pray. That's what Mark 135 says, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what it says. Where do you think? Look, look at this. He awakened me morning by my morning. He awakens my ear to hear as he learned. Where do you think he learned all of this? He learned from the Lord, the Father. He was in constant communication with the Father. If he prayed early in the morning, how much more do we need to be praying first thing in the morning, right? The Lord God has opened my ear and I wasn't rebellious. I didn't turn away. He did it willingly, folks. Think about what he went through, and he did it willingly. And I wasn't rebellious, nor did I turn away. You know it because I say it in here, Hebrews 12, 2. He, for the joy that was set before him, he marched to the cross. You are that joy. That should do something to us. You are that joy. How could I ever repay? I gave my back to those who struck me. I gave my back to those who struck me. You, you know this, right? He was slapped, you know. Not, it, was, it means more than just slapped. It was like, you know, the thudding slap with the hard parts of the hands. He was slapped at Annas' house, John 18, before Caiaphas, uh, the other high priest, or the, the high priest, Annas was the, um, the former high priest, father-in-law of Caiaphas, he was spat upon. That one gets me. He was slapped, beaten on the head with fists. He was punched around. Of course, Pilate scourged him, which that doesn't really mean anything to us, but until you study what, what actually happened. And if anybody wants to see what happened, I can give you the medical journal, American Medical Journal, about what a scourging would do. I mean, his back is in ribbons. And it says that Pilate's soldiers beat him again. Of course, they jammed the crown of thorns in him, you know made him carry the cross, take that robe and rip it off his back and then mat it back down on his back. Carry the cross, couldn't carry the cross. Another comes and helps him. They spike him in the wrists and then the top of the feet there. And of course, everything that happened at the cross, you see. He look, and then you go back to verse 6. And it says, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I've never really had a beard, but to have it plucked out seems horrific. And I didn't hide my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced, therefore I have set my face like a flint. Solid, rock, towards the cross. I'll do it. Not my will. Your will be done, Lord. I'll do it. That's what it's saying here. 700 years before. And I know that I won't be ashamed. Why would he not be ashamed? Because of you. 
It's worth it, in other words, is what he's saying. God is saying it's worth it for the, the son to do this through Isaiah. He is near who justifies me, verse 8, who will contend with me. Let us stand together who is my adversary. Let him come near me. Surely the Lord God will help me. He, or who is he who will condemn me? Indeed, they will all grow old like a moth. The moth will eat them up. And now in verse 10 and 11, we're back. Uh, Isaiah is now addressing the Jewish or the, is, uh, the, the remnant in Israel. Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. He's saying, look, if you don't understand what's going on, you feel like you're walking in the dark, read that. You feel like you're walking in the dark, trust in the Lord. Now you're all saying, well, I'm looking out here, most of you are churchgoers. You're saying, yeah, 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 yeah. I get that. But then look at the next verse. (laughs) But he says, you know why? I'm paraphrasing now. This is Tim Green speak. He's saying because when people manufacture light, they kindle a fire, and you encircle yourselves with spark, this you, uh, you walk in the light of your fire and the sparks you have kindled, this you shall have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. You want to go your own way and not trust in the Lord? That's what it's saying right there. Look what happens. You go down in torment. Well, now, uh, verse, chapter 51, I get verses and chapters mixed up. I'm so sorry. 51, all the way through uh, 52, 12, uh, 12, are some admonitions from God to his people in Babylon. He admonishes them. Uh, look right here, 1 through 8. He says, listen to me. That's what I say to my boys, not to my daughter. She always listens. But the other ones, listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Uh, I want you to remember something, he says in verse 2. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. In other words, I was doing a big thing through Abraham and Sarah. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He'll comfort all her waste. He'll make her wilderness like Eden. And her. Do you see that? Do you see, see that? When has Israel been like Eden? Well, that's because it's going to be <laughs> when the Lord comes back. And her desert like the garden of the Lord. See? That's the whole story of the Bible right there, folks. Begins in a garden, ends in a garden. The curse is reversed. That's the whole story of the Bible. And here he says joy and gladness will be found in it. Man, won't that be wonderful? Who here is tired of sickness and tiredness and complaining and crabbiness and all that sort of thing? It's going to be joy and gladness, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. That's what's going to be happening in uh, the kingdom. You catch that? And he says, listen to me, my people, and give ear. For I'm going to proceed from me, and I will make my justice rest as the light of the people. My righteousness is near, my salvation has come forth, and my arms will judge the people. The coastlands will wait upon me, and on my arm they will trust. And then if you don't know what God's doing currently or forever or any day, doesn't have to be now, he's been doing this since, well, for all times, but since the beginning of the world. Look, this is what he's been doing right here. Lift up your eyes to the heavens... Verse 6, and look on the earth beneath. Take a look. Heavens, earth. For the heavens are going to vanish away like smoke. 
and the earth is going to grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not be abolished. Those who are in Christ will be saved, and his righteousness will never be abolished. I know, listen, I can see it in your eyes. You're just, I, I'm losing you a little bit, and I don't want to lose you. Because these are so beautiful, I want you to mark it and go back and study it yourself. You'll be forever blessed. But there it is. There's what's happening. That's what is going on or the future of the world right there. But, but here it is uh, in verse 7. Here's another admonition. Listen to me, you who know righteous. Don't fear the reproach of men nor be afraid of their insults. Who hears a people pleaser? Raise your hand. Wow, I'm shocked it's not that, not as many as, yes. But you don't have to be, but, but I'm shocked it's that little. People pleasing. People pleading is your own idol. You've made yourself your own idol when you're a people pleaser because you want to be seen as good and fun and nice and well-liked. Well, here, look at this. Even in the scriptures all these times ago, don't fear the reproach of men. No, fear, fear God. And look to my salvation at the end of verse 8, from generation to generation. Trust in that. Isn't that great? Okay, now what else? Awake, awake. Put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Here from 9 through 16, it's a prayer from the remnant. To, he's asking the Lord. Listen, is this funny? A, a prayer from the remnant or the exiles is praying to ask the Lord to wake up. <laughs> Lord, wake up. Aren't you the one that cut Rahab apart and wounded the serpent? Aren't you the one, etc., etc., for the redeemed to cross over? You get it. You could read it. Aren't you that one? Come on, Lord. I, even I, verse 12, who comforts you? Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die? And keeps going back to that theme of men versus the maker. And you forget your Lord and uh, your maker in verse 13, who stretched out the heavens, etc. And he asks there all the way through 16 for the Lord to wake up. Now, in 17 through 23, Isaiah is prophesying and saying, hey, not only that, let's ask Jerusalem to wake up. Let's pray and ask Jerusalem to wake up. Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem. And then for the rest of the chapter, check this out. He, uh, pro- he prophesies and says through God that Jerusalem's like a mother who's in a drunken state. She hardly got any sleep last night. She's drunk and she's walking around and has no idea what's going on. That's what she compares or that's what he compares Jerusalem to. They're in a stupor. God says again, you're asking me to wake up. I'm telling you, wake up. That's what he says here to the exiles. Wake up. See what happened. Learn the lessons of why you were in Babylon. Oh, man, you get the, get, I'd hardly even have to say anything. Learn the lessons of why you're in Babylon. I didn't go anywhere. You went everywhere. In fact, you were an idolater. And in the scriptures, he compares idolatry to adultery and prostitution. 
he, he, he really does not enjoy idolatry, and that's what landed them over there. So he says, awake. And you can read through verse 23, although I'm going to read you verse 23. He says, but he leaves them with hope, but I'm going to put, I will put it into the hand of those who afflict you, who have said to you, lie down that we may walk over you. In other words, I'm going to take care of the ones who were unjust towards you. You understand this? Okay, so next time, uh, you know, your donut downstairs gets picked and you get mad at the person about the donut, think about it. Or they sit in your chair or they slight you at church or they don't, uh, they didn't say hi to you maybe or something and you get all riled up. Or, or maybe they even talked really bad to you or maybe whatever and you say, how come, or why, why don't they ever get it? Why doesn't God ever chasten them? By the way, God chastens those he loves. Why doesn't, listen, God is going to put everything right. You don't have to get them back. You don't have to get them back. I don't have to get them back. Well, here, look at this. He goes on and uh, uh, he sings, uh, this is a song of uh, Zion's, or the day of uh, Zion's uh, redemption, or as they come back. This is what 52 is all about. 52 is... um, Another wake-up call, awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. And what he's getting at here for you Bible students is that Babylon's going to crash and never be anymore. Remember that prophecy earlier? What's Babylon a picture of in the Bible? The world and the world system of thinking. But what's going to rise? Jerusalem. Where's Jesus going to rule and reign from? Jerusalem. And so this is an image of her arising and dressing like a queen. She's going to arise, right? Um, so you, you keep going. By the way, in verse 5, isn't it fascinating? I, I've skipped over several of them, but there have been several quotes here that have been quoted in the New Testament. For instance, in verse 5, Now therefore, what have I here, says the Lord? that my people are taken away for nothing. Those who rule over them, make them wail, says the Lord, and my name is blasphemed continually every day. Paul quoted that in Romans 2.24. Why am I telling you that? Uh, Because these guys knew the scriptures, (laughs) and they used them in their life. New Testament people used the Old Testament. And, and so you see that, and also he, he says it again, or he says an additional thing that was wrong with uh, Israel, or Judah actually, is that those who ruled over them went bad. The leadership went wrong. Boy, is that a, is that a message to the leadership in the church of America? What we've let our churches become? How we've uh, let them become uh, entertainment centers instead of worship centers? And it's something that we should take very seriously as leaders. Well, uh, he goes on, and uh, one famous verse here. Oh, by the way, in verse 6, it says, My people are going to know my name. The people of Israel are going to know Jesus, the Messiah. And therefore they shall know him in that day, that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. You see that word play there? I am he who speaks. Okay, good. Well, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of who, him who brings good news. Didn't, isn't there a famous book about this one? 
Anyway, whatever. Uh, who proclaim peace, peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Man, it's so beautiful because we get, we as the Babylonians, get to go back to our home place and set our feet up on the mountains again. But that's the near fulfillment. The far fulfillment is, isn't it beautiful to go to Colorado? No, I'm kidding. That's a joke. Isn't it beautiful when you're bringing the good news, you're uh, bringing, proclaiming peace, You're in a lofty place, man. You're in a lofty place proclaiming the word of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? And we're proclaiming and saying that God reigns. And notice in verse 8, your watchmen, that's the leaders of the church, shall lift up their voices and they'll sing together. For they shall see eye to eye. Whoa, unity in the church. When the Lord brings back Zion, break forth into joy, sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. Isn't that beautiful? Well, go over to verse 11. Here's another um, uh, uh, indication that uh, God is telling them, we want you to leave and go back. Depart, depart, go out from there. But when you do, don't touch any unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her and be clean. Uh, you could look 2 Corinthians six fourteen through 7, 1. We're to do the same thing. You who bear the vessels of the Lord, for you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight. And the God of Israel will be your rear guard. As you return, isn't that beautiful? He's going to be the rear guard. Okay, now, can you believe this? Can you hardly believe this? Here it is. Behold, behold, look. Right here, right in the heart of Isaiah. Look, everybody, look, he's saying. Behold the servant. This is the one whom we should talk about and glorify and exalt. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled. That means lifted high. Remember uh, in John it says he'll lift uh, men to himself and they'll believe. Remember that. But anyway, uh, uh, he'll be extolled or exalted and extolled and be very high, just as many were astonished at you. You see, we're into the fourth servant song that uh, goes through uh, Isaiah 53. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man. In other words, the suffering servant, you're going to be shocked. It's going to shock you. It's going to jolt you at his appearance. He's beaten and striped and scourged and spit on and naked and mistreated, and you're not even going to be able to recognize the human part of the man. He would be so bloody and beaten, right? And his form more than the sun. So, he, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had been, uh, not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. That's his message. You get that? For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. They didn't... They did, hey, look, look. When he's giving his message as he's here, they just didn't see and they, they wouldn't listen. But when they watch what happened at the cross, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the things that formerly they didn't see, they'll, cons- you know, they'll look at now. And the things they formerly wouldn't consider, they'll consider. 
If you go and you look at uh, and, and, and study like Josh McDowell, what a story, Josh McDowell. Grew up in a home, an abusive home, went to Stanford and uh, was a very intellectual, still is a very intellectual man, like highly intellectual, goes to Stanford, hates Christians, hates them. Goes and sees these people at lunch just loving each other and sitting in circles and they keep inviting him over and he doesn't want to go, but he's attracted because of the love, because he wasn't getting that love at home. He was, he was beaten, and he had, uh, uh, there's a miraculous story. These Christians kind of take him him. He, one break, he goes back to actually murder his father. He had it planned out. He was ready to murder his father. whole bunch of things intervene. Uh, he doesn't murder his father. Goes back. People are witnessing to him like crazy. Sets him on a worldwide search for the gospel and the truth. And the claims of Christ, something he would never have considered, they shared with him. He starts to consider, sets him on a worldwide tour to discover um, the claims of Christ. And I can remember that it was the, he was the first guy I ever really heard share the gospel. Somebody else did, actually, but then in a public forum, it was him. And I can remember him telling this story and saying he was in a library in Switzerland. Man, he must have took this seriously. And uh, I don't know, reading the claims of Christ and the uh, eyewitness accounts, I can remember him. He pushed back his chair and he just said to himself, it's true. That's what that reminds me of there. They wouldn't consider, but when they examine the claims of Christ, the Messiah, it's true. Well, go on to 53. Can you believe this? 700, or 700 years prior, seven centuries before, this is written as if it already has taken place. Who has believed our report? <laughs> In other words, can you believe it? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. You know how tender he was? This shows his tenderness. Remember on the cross, you all know this. He's concerned about his mother. He, he, he makes sure in the last hours of his human life <laughs> that his mother is taken care of. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and out as a, as a root out of dry ground. He will be fruitful and full of life. Rivers of living water will flow from us when we come to know Jesus. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's just a normal Joe, just like us. He's despised and rejected by man. Originally, he wasn't. You could look that up in Luke 2.52, but as he marched to the cross, he was. And he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I never knew how the, these two things would be compatible. The Messiah is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and yet he has the joy or the oil of gladness runs down his beard. How? How? Well, I've got to tell you, until I became a pastor, I'm not sure I ever knew that scripture or how that could happen. But when you're a pastor or when you're uh, participating in the ministry, like all of you do, you, you know you see sorrows here when people reject the Lord, and you know they're going the wrong way. And yet they're adults and they can do what they choose. And then when somebody comes to know the Lord in a, a way and the light bulb goes on, which is really the Holy Spirit, man, is there anything better than that? Yeah, and is there anything better, by the way, in my own life 
when I get it finally after three million tries or whatever. No, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and hid as it were our, we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we didn't esteem him. Surely he has, look at this, this is, this is 700 years, folks. You live on this side of the cross. You've heard it all your life. This is coming to Isaiah. What do you mean suffering servant? Don't you mean conquering servant, Lord? Run that one by me again. He's going to give his back to him, everybody. His beard's going to be... What do you mean? Because I know he's probably going to overthrow all the dominant empires, right? And he's going to set up his kingdom. That's what they must have been saying. Well, he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. That means pierced through. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. Boy, there's a lot of theology in here, folks. And by his stripes, we are healed. Yes, we are healed completely spiritually. And we talked about that in 1 Peter. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We're not basically good. We're strayers. <laughs> We're sinners. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 1 John 2, 2 says he uh, bore the sins of the whole world. The sins of the whole world. How many people have lived? Isn't it something like 90 billion or something like that? 90 billion people, something like that. Check that. I could be wrong. You could Google that probably real quick. But anyway, uh, think about that. All the sins of the world, 90 billion people or whatever the, the stat is now. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. I would have opened my mouth. Just telling you. You realize I would have said, these trials you've been putting me through are illegal according to your own law. Right? You, you get this, right? Nothing you did made me a, a real indicted person. You, you conjured these things up. You manufactured witnesses. You went against your own civil procedure. You had this thing at night. This is a capital offense. You got to wait for, uh, uh, some time before you have these trials. I would have been saying lots of things. He didn't say anything, which tells me again how much you matter. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as sheep before its shearers is silent. He opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked. You believe this? How, down to the who they, he was going to be crucified with. But with the rich it is death. What do you mean? Well, the people who buried him were rich. In the tomb, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit. That means he was very sincere. Oh my, does that convict me in his mouth. And here's one of the most staggering verses of the entire Bible, folks. <laughs> There's one lady in our fellowship, every time I read this, she says in the back real quietly, oh my. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. He was a guilt offering, a sacrificial suffering. He shall see his seed. He shall 
prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. That's you. Isn't that beautiful? That's you. I've said it about a million times. I'm going to get criticized by the orator or the speech teachers, but this, this, is, this is it. He's satisfied it about you. Oh. By his knowledge, my, righteousness is, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. You're the spoil. He gets, you're the reward. You're the pearl, the great treasure in the field, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession. Look, do you catch that? <laughs> oh, uh, people come in and say, you know, this person in the fellowship, I, I, you know, her and I, or he and I, we're really having problems, and I said something about him, and he said something about me, and... Well, did you go and ask for forgiveness? No. Well, are you going to? Well, no. Well, why not? Well, I can't. Well, you mean you won't. But I want you to catch something. Look at the Lord. <laughs> for the very people who he put him on the cross, the transgressors, he was praying for. Oh, that's the heart of the Lord. Well, you go on into chapter 54. We talk here about Israel's restoration. It's a great song. And sing, O barren, you see there. You talk about God being a faithful husband and forgiving Israel. And Israel being an unfaithful wife. You could read that. But when restoration happens... Verses 4 through 10, it brings confidence and love as we depend upon God's promises once again. That's what you could read about right there. Notice in verse 7, he says, For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. He chastens us when we don't listen, folks. He chastens us when we don't listen. But he loves you. And you keep going uh, up here into verse 11. And um, he's talking now not about the people being restored, but the city will be rebuilt. And that's 11 through 17. 11 through 17. And I want you to notice something in verse 17, one of your most famous verses that you quote, and so do I. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Notice he's speaking to Israel. He's speaking to Israel because Israel will be alive, in a sense, again. They already are, 1948. Back when this is going on, who knows or who knew? It's a miracle of all miracles that whatever happens to the Jews, they keep bouncing back in the best beautiful and wonderful way as God loves them and uh, no weapon formed against them shall ever prosper. Okay, Verse, chapter 55, and then I'm going to do three 
chapters in 10 seconds. <laughs> guaranteed. Guaranteed. I don't know much, but that's guaranteed. So now what he says is, now that you see the suffering servant, you get an invitation to the whole world, including the Gentiles, which was, which was uh, revolutionary at the time. That was a, a, a strange concept. But listen, everyone who thirsts, everyone who thirsts, everyone, come to the waters. You will be satisfied, Jesus told us in John 4. Your life will be fully satisfied in Jesus. Are you in school and people are anxious and worried and don't know where to turn and have no idea about their future or are unstable? Are you in school? Listen, you have the answer. I have the answer. We have the answer. Are you at work where you find the same things? You doing all your extracurriculars where you're finding the same things? Listen, in COVID, whether you wear a mask or you don't wear a mask, honestly, are you satisfied? Am I satisfied in Jesus Christ? Are rivers of living water pouring out of my life, even if it's behind a Zoom camera, so that people can see and know that there's answers. Come, he says, to the waters. Even if you don't have any money, come. You could buy and eat. You don't need anything for this. My salvation is free. It's a free gift. Don't spend money on anything that's not real bread. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. John, taste and see that the Lord is good. We've been reading about that. Try him. Experience him. Your sin's forgiven. Know him. Incline your ear, verse 3, and come to me. Hear and your... Look at this. Hear and your soul shall live. See, what happens in this uh, uh, world now is we're not hearing. Look at the statistics about what happens to people who have that phone in their hand all day long. Their heart races, their mind goes, they can't concentrate, they can't focus on a task. Nothing. We have Netflix and Spotify and, and this and that and everything in our cars and things. I was, just try I was trying to find a watch today to walk with. There's like four million different types of watches, and you got to read it all. And I'm like, my goodness, I mean, I can't even get anything done here today because I've spent 40 minutes now looking at every detail. I mean, does it have elevation? Do you got steps? Does it do the calories? Blah, blah, blah. And I wasted 40 minutes doing that, because, and I wasn't hearing. And the very thing that I needed, Jesus, that bomb was not being applied to my soul. I was worried about a Garmin. Hear and your soul shall live. Take time to hear. Praying is hearing too. It's not just telling, although it is that. It's not just telling and ordering. It's hearing. Incline your ear. That's what people in the kingdom do. This speaks of the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ, but if you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, this speaks of you, this chapter. Here and your soul shall live, and I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. He did through Jesus. That's the covenant, covenant of his blood. Why am I pointing at my watch? I don't know. Now I'm all discombobulated. Indeed, I've given him as a witness to the people, a leader, who? The one who is uh, promised uh, through David, a leader and a commander for the people. Surely, verse 5, you shall call a nation you do not know. 
And nations who do not know you shall run to because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Go tell everybody this today. Genesis says God won't strive with man forever. You get that? I had a phone call this week from somebody who got scared to death about the tribulation. I said, I said the exact opposite. Instead of awe, I said good. And here's why. Because that person wasn't walking with the Lord. And it woke them up. Here he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Why? Because there's coming a time when he will come back in judgment. He'll come back in judgment while he may be found. Seek him. What does seek mean? Repent. Believe his promises in faith. Have a repentance towards God and a faith towards Jesus. I stole that from Acts 20, 21. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he'll have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ right there. Uh, For our thoughts or my thoughts are not your thoughts. Don't try to second guess God. He'll do the things his way. Your ways aren't my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do you have a person in your life that doesn't know the Lord? Well, do this. Share the words of of the Lord with them. Don't just share your opinions. Share the scriptures with them. I mean, obviously, you got to talk to them and be conversational. But then share the scriptures with them. When you're doing the thing, share the scriptures. Why? Because as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give, uh, may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Don't, don't forget that. So if you're at school... And your friend, how do you counsel people? Well, you know the scriptures. You rightly divide the word. And you share with them the scriptures, man. Okay. I'm not quite to 56, but 56 through 59, 10 seconds. For you shall go out with joy... The joy of the exiles on the release from captivity and the joy of Israel when they come into their land at the end of time, or the end of time as we know it. Look at this. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing uh, before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn uh, shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord." For a name. When the kingdom is established, all of nature is going to sing to the Lord. And I, could, I, I wrote down several places here in Isaiah where it says that. For an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Now, here we go. Time me. Isaiah 56. I'm going to let you read. By the way, there's healing for the backslider in there. Isaiah 58 and Isaiah 59 deal with all of Israel's sins and the reason why they were put into captivity. And I'm going to let you read it. And next week, we're going to start at chapter 60. Okay, that was 10 seconds or maybe 20. 
But, folks, listen to this. We've gone fast through the first 59 chapters of Isaiah. I recognize it. But I want you to be a studier, one who would give your heart and soul to the Lord in the book of Isaiah and let him do a mighty work because you, you, you find out the heart of God, the character of God through Isaiah. It's a beautiful book because it goes hand in glove with First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, which ties the old part of the Old Testament to the latter part of the Old Testament, if that makes sense, or the newer part, if that makes sense. And it's quoted in the New Testament over and over and over again, including from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isaiah does something amazing to us. It centers us in our faith. We can look back and know what's happening and look forward and understand that this was God's plan for all eternity. Wow, you guys matter. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you for this evening. And uh, I just pray, Lord, that we would move out of here, build up, knowing where to turn in our Bibles to look these things up and to meditate on the things that you would want us to know. Help us to be good stewards of our time and good students of the Word because that's where healing and health comes from spiritually. It all speaks about the blood of the Lamb and the resurrection of the Son and the coming kingdom. Our sins forgiven, living in joy, singing all day long your praises. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.